But first up, as I mentioned, I'm just back from a vacation. I went to Washington, Montreal, Ottawa, Montreal, speaking of Leonard Cohen. And that meant transferring through Toronto and Vancouver. That meant a lot of Air Canada. And almost all of it, while relatively painless, all of it was delayed. Sometimes just briefly, sometimes for hours. The odd thing is that everyone's delay story these days seems to be a little bit different. Now, where I was, everything worked well. Security, customs, it was all fairly quick. But what real problem was, was delays. Everywhere you went, your flight was delayed. And it was always a different reason, but usually it felt like it was staffing. So as we head into the second half of this summer and the summer travel period, with many Canadians already saying they'd avoid flying and airports these days because of all the headaches that they're reading about, that they're experiencing themselves, I thought we could check back on just what exactly the state of this flying nation is these days. We know how bad it is at Pearson sometimes, but is it getting any better? Uh, and what was I seeing? Why were there no staff all the time? Why were planes always late arriving, always late departing everywhere we went? Except American Airlines and the U.S. didn't seem to be having the same level of problems. Anyway, the best person to help us here is John Graddock. He's an aviation management professor at McGill University in Montreal and a former Air Canada executive. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome back. Hey, Ben. Welcome back as well. I was just in your town, uh, out at uh, out at Trudeau Airport, which was okay, not too, too bad. Um, but, but what are we seeing here? It seems like every single Air Canada flight has some kind of problem it's bumping into. Uh, is that industry-wide, or is that something that's happening purely here? And I guess it's really manifesting itself at Pearson. Well, you know, I think that, you know, we're, we're seeing the summer of a restart of an aviation industry that was in limbo for a couple of years, and uh, as with anything that you're restarting, you've got to get it well-oiled, and you've got to make sure everything is running on all cylinders, and uh, it's uh, it's taken a bit of time for that to happen. I think that there's, you know, a, a number of issues that have been raised regarding staffing and the, and, the, and the quality of the staff that are there and their experience and the training they received, and probably... I could point the finger there, um, but it really is a function of really how the airlines have decided to offer their their summer 22 schedule that's really the crux of the problem. Yeah, tell me about that, because I mean, if you're an airline and you've just gone through two years plus of a pandemic and business has been bad and so forth, obviously, you want to take advantage of the demand that's out there. But an airline ticket is a contract, and there is a certain uh, quid pro quo to this. If I sell you a, a service, I'm supposed to be able to provide that service. And it seems very strained these days. Yeah, it is. I think that, you know, what, what's, what you know when you look at what happened back in, let's say, February of this year, you know, we were in the middle of Omicron. We really weren't sure where Omicron was going to go. Everybody was kind of worried about, you know, what does the future hold in terms of you know, the, the, the additional variants. And then, you know, Omicron kind of went went uh, went, went sideways a little in terms of its uh, degree of uh, appearance across Canada and around the world. And so you see that, you know, countries are starting to relax their uh, travel restrictions. Um, you know, quarantines were starting to get lifted. Um, there was, a you know, a lot less demands for vaccination, you know, vaccination certificates. So people were saying, wait a second, it's time for us to get out there and travel. So demand basically started to knock on the airline's doors back around mid-March. And the airlines, you know, saw that and said, wow, here's a chance for us to go in there and, and really recapture uh, a lot of revenues and hopefully a lot of profits 
that they've kind of let go over the last couple of years. So they cranked up the schedules, cranked up the utilization of their airplanes, uh, and uh, sold all those seats back in March, April, May that were traveling through the summer. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the system, the aviation system, which is very complex and very, very uh, (laughs) requiring a lot of uh, integration, did not really uh, have enough staff and enough capacity to handle the volume of flights that the airlines were proposing. So that's where it fell apart. John, this is one that really fascinated me because it happened several times on this last trip of mine. It happened uh, to my wife as well. Uh, You're sitting on a plane, getting ready to take off, and all of a sudden, someone goes off shift. A ground crew member goes off shift. And that's the reason you're given for sitting there for another 40 minutes (laughs) or more. Um, What is that about? I mean, it just seems like that there are real problems trying to get enough people in to, to service each one of these flights. And that seems to be the problem. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's a, like I said, it's, this is a complex business to be in. You've got flight crew, the cockpit crew that basically has to have enough hours available to the crew to basically operate the itinerary that's going to be taking your flight out. Uh, the flight attendants have the same set of, same, same set of rules, may not have the same uh, constraints as the pilots, but they're also uh, a function of, you know, how many hours does this flight have? How many hours have I left in my day before I am required by law to stop flying or to stop operating. And it's those situations, particularly when it comes to the operating crew on an airplane, that you have these situations where if a crew member gets close to being illegal, as we say, in the business, uh, that person is required by law to get off the airplane and to basically be replaced by somebody else that the airline has to have on reserve to come and fill that location. So that reserve filling does take a bit of time, 45, 50 minutes. Let's go and find that person in the building and then get that person to go onto the airplane. So it really is, you know, an orchestration that requires a lot of coordination. And if the flights that you're, if the schedules you're creating are already tight with respect to the hours the crews are flying or the number of people working on the ramp, you know, you're going to get more and more of those instances where your flights are going to be delayed as a result of crews timing out. Have you been surprised at all by just how much uh, Pearson has found itself in the crosshairs here at Toronto's International Airport? I mean, there's been horror stories out of other airports around the world, Frankfurt, yeah. Heathrow. It's You know, Pearson's not alone, but it's certainly bearing the brunt in all this, isn't it? it it's certainly become one of the poster childs for, for an airport really struggling uh, to catch up with all the demand. Yeah, like I said, you know, the, you, as you mentioned, the, the phenomenon is, is global. You know, it doesn't take... You know, a lot of newspaper reading to find out, you know, that it's, you know, Frankfurt, Schiphol, London, um, they're all suffering. Uh, the problem is Toronto, where it seems that the the amount of operations, to me, the amount of operations that are being planned into and out of Toronto are far in excess of the capability of the infrastructure, people and equipment and facilities at Pearson to be able to handle that volume. And, you know, this has been going on for two, two and a half months. And, you know, as much as our friends at Air Canada have said back a month ago that they're going to be reducing the schedule and looking at cutting back 15% of the flights, um, you know, I'm still seeing, you know, at least 40 to 50% of Pearson's flights being delayed. Mind you, they're not, you know, eight or 10 hour delays, but they are still being delayed. Your contract 
is basically to, to, to get your airplane out on time. That's when people buy a ticket. You know, that's the deal. You get out on time and you get on, you know, get the seat that you want. You get the bags to go with you and you're on time. So that's the contract. And Air Canada is pretty well not adhering to that contract because as Air Canada goes, so goes Pearson. So that's the, <laughs> the big deal. Yeah. Pearson's, going, yeah. Pearson's going down. Air Canada's in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. I'm speaking with John Graddock. He's an aviation management professor at McGill University in Montreal, former Air Canada executive. We're talking just about the ongoing issues uh, at Canada's airports, Pearson in Toronto specifically, but others as well. Uh, Air Canada still having a lot of trouble with delays uh, as we head into the second month of a busy summer. Uh, When we come back, is this the new normal or is uh, the industry uh, all across the industry from security to customs and so forth, are they slowly figuring this out. Will things get better when uh, the summer rush is over? We'll get to that after this. Well, I'm just back from a holiday that involved a lot of flying, a lot of flying Air Canada. I got to where I needed to go. Uh, no fear. If you go, if you want to go somewhere, chances are you'll probably get there, but you'll get there late. Probably. You'll be delayed. It'll be uh, interesting. Dif- the different reasons for your delays will also be interesting as you try to figure it out. Uh, John Graddock is my um, guest this half hour. He's an aviation management professor at McGill University and a former Air Canada executive. I guess the big question is now, will this get better? Because it feels uh, somewhat insurmountable now, but one can imagine when uh, the number of people flying starts to reduce just a little bit, that the system may write itself sometime before the end of the year. Well, I think so. I think that, you know, we've got a couple of big bumps in the road that we have. We have the August bank holiday this weekend, and we have Labor Day coming up in about five weeks. And But, you know, so schools restarting in September, um, you know, people are going to be got rid of this trip that they had pent up. Uh, Inflation is going to be up there. Prices of travel is going to go higher. Hotels, car rentals are going to go higher in the fall. So we're going to be in a situation where there should be, a uh, reduction and and a lessening of demand. Uh, So the flights won't be as crowded as they are are today. And the other good thing is that, you know, the crews that Air Canada has hired uh, over the last two or three months will have gotten a bit more experience under their belt. They would have gotten their so-called sea legs, uh, and they'll be much more experienced and be able to to handle the job uh, much more efficiently and much more effectively than they have had in the past couple of months. Now, I didn't see it slow down too much when I came back through Dorval, but of course, the ArriveCan app is still a bone of contention. Is that still having, what kind of impact do you think that's actually having on, on travel this summer? Oh, yeah, ArriveCan app is, is probably the one thing that really is a, a remnant of the, you know, of our public health policies that are causing people grief. Uh, and, you know, there are glitches in the app, and there's no doubt about it that, you know, we're getting people who've been asked to take, um, test and there is no need for them to take a test or the app is malfunctioned and because it's malfunctioning they can't log into the app and they've, they've, they've been chased by public health authorities for their tests so it you know there's a couple of bugs still in it so um i think that you know that's going to take a bit of time to get straightened out i think the arrive can app has been um you know a tool that the government sees as very useful uh in you know managing our borders and, uh, and it may have a life beyond the public health emergencies and the considerations we're having today. So, you know, I think we've, I've had a lot of rumors coming out of Ottawa and a lot of statements saying, you know, we may think this thing through and that arrive can app will in fact become as ubiquitous as your passport as you travel internationally.
Yeah, I guess it's something we might have to get used to. I know they do uh, manage to harvest a lot of data about who's coming into the country, where they're coming from, um, and if there's any other reasons, you know, just for global trends, right, to find out who's visiting, where they're from, and if they're carrying anything at the end of the day as well. Well, yeah, and I think it's a question of security. I think, you know, mm-hmm. the world is getting to be a pretty scary place, and it's getting scarier every day. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, the organization that is basically tasked with keeping our borders you know, as tight as necessary, uh, is looking for anything that they can basically have as a tool to better manage the the, the entry uh, of people into the country. And I think that uh, you know, you know, you're seeing a lot of technology being deployed as you walk into your you know arrivals hall. You're seeing biometrics involved. You're seeing facial recognition involved. You're seeing a lot of technologies that may not be very apparent, but they're all there for the reason of making sure that. Only those people that should be allowed entry into Canada are. So I guess if we look ahead just a little bit, uh, everything may quiet down a bit at the airports, but we're faced with inflation. So few of us, fewer of us will be able to travel in the, in the, in the, uh, in the end run anyway. It seems like a bit of a Pyrrhic victory, I John. I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, the funny thing happens in this business. You know, the business, as soon as a downturn hits, you know, in terms of demand, all of a sudden the airlines get a little antsy. And there's a, there's a couple of new players in the marketplace. You've got Flair, you've got uh, Lynx. Uh, you're going to have Porter show up very, very shortly. Uh, so you've got a bunch of new carriers, a lot of new airplanes coming on board, and they're going to be taking on the Air Canada's, the WestJet, the swoops of this world. Uh, so, you know, you're going to be looking at a lot more capacity. And to, in my opinion, all that capacity will drive prices back down. So, you know, you're paying somewhere in the range of about $800 round trip between Vancouver and Toronto now. Um, and then back in January and February, you could get the same round trip for 150 bucks. Um, so by the time we get to the fall with the capacity being offered in the marketplace, I think we're going to be back down around the $200, $250 range on Toronto, Vancouver, which will be, you know, stimulating some traffic, but it won't be anywhere near as much traffic as we had this summer. Yeah, maybe more comfortable flight. If only we could all get used to how to bringing carry-on luggage onto a plane, I think we'd be much better off. That that's the next one for uh, you know, the yeah. the minister got in trouble for talking about that, but he wasn't he wasn't completely wrong. No, I think you know and you asked the question earlier about what the, you know, when are we going to go back to normal? And you know, I think that that's a that's a very interesting question because what's normal? So the yeah. the way we flew back in 2019 is that what the, what the normal is that people are looking for? Well, that's never going to happen again. Just like, you know, pre, pre, pre-September, um, you know, September, September 11, September 11 yep. it, it changed the business altogether. And the pandemic will change or has changed the business altogether. So we're going to be flying in a very different environment. So the, the new normal has not yet been defined. So hold on to your seatbelt. John Graddick, thank you so much for your time tonight. All right. My pleasure, Ben. Take care. Welcome back.